My name is Caleb. I'm the student pastor here, and I'm up here because Pastor Jimmy and Pastor Michael, they went to the Dominican Republic, which is a great thing, and we're praying for them. They're doing some awesome work out there. Today, I was thinking about this, uh, what, what, what am I going to preach? What am I going to tell you guys that, me being 24, that you, you don't already know, right? So this is something that, that I've struggled with, and I oftentimes have to remind myself of, of Timothy in the Bible, that I get to stand up here and just proclaim God's truth. I don't have to proclaim anything else to you. Uh, you don't need to know what I think is, is wise of myself. You need to know what God says is wise. And so that is what we're going to search out in our scriptures today. Uh, we're going to be in Deuteronomy. Uh, we're going to go to chapter 6. And so just uh, give you a little bit of context here. Uh, Moses, he's the author of Deuteronomy. He's giving Israel the commandments given to them by God. And in chapter 5, you see Moses kind of roll out the Ten Commandments. And then chapter 6, verse 1 tells us this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. So we can see that Moses is preparing Israel for living in the promised land. These commandments are to prepare them for entering the promised land. So chapter 6, verse 4, which is the first verse of our section of Scripture today, begins with what is... uh, begins what is known as the Shema and and Jewish tradition. Uh, This section is known to Christians as the greatest commandment. And that's because of Jesus' teachings in the New Testament. Examples of Matthew 22, 37, Mark 12, 29, and Luke 10, verses 26 through 27. Without any further ado, let's, uh, let's read this scripture. Starting in verse 4, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this morning humble knowing, Lord, that your truth is supreme. Uh, I just pray this morning that we would open our hearts to receive that truth this morning. God, we love you. So thankful for the sacrifice that you gave for us, Lord. Let us uh, love you with with every fiber of our being as we are about to learn here in Deuteronomy. And Lord, help us to pass it on. So Lord, we go with us throughout this message. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to begin unpacking this chunk of scripture, we're going to start with the first word, all right? The first word being here. The title that I mentioned before, Shema, that is, that, is the, that is given to this section of scripture in Jewish tradition. It represents the Hebrew word that is translated to hear, all right? So this word, it means more than just acknowledging sound. When we say hear something, hey, did you hear that? You know, that's, that's just acknowledging that there was sound that was made and you kind of comprehended the sound, if that makes sense. But this is a little bit more. This is a little bit more than that. It's almost synonymous to the word obey. To say to obey, right? And so we would call this effective hearing or effective listening. So Moses, he's calling out Israel. He's saying, look, I want you to hear what is being said, but I want you to hear what is being said with the understanding that it will change your life. I want you to hear this because this is going to call you to action. So today, I want us to try to hear this scripture afresh. And I want you to put that filter on this morning, that you're going to hear this with the understanding that this is going to change your life, with the understanding that this is going to call you to action. These are not words 
and opinions. These are, these are commandments of God, and so hear them as such. So we'll start here uh, with the question, what does Moses want them to hear? And we read in verse 5, it says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. So, the general commandment in verse 5 is to love. But this is fleshed out in the the remainder of verse 5. How are we to love? What is the quality of our love for God? And it's found in the definitions of these three big words. The first word being heart. See, in our society, our culture today, when we say heart, we oftentimes simply are talking about emotional stuff or the organ. (laughs) And so... You've heard it said, follow your heart. And that generally means, in our context, to follow your gut, follow your desires, follow your emotions, if that makes sense. But here, the Hebrew word translated to heart means more than that. It actually means it's a combination of things. It's a combination of your mind and your emotions. All right, it's, uh, one commentator says it this way, it's your feeler and your thinker. So it represents your inner being. It's the thoughts and and, and emotions. It's the stuff that others can't see about you unless, of course, you vocalize them, right? And so we move to the second word. The second word is soul. So the Hebrew word here is nefesh. Generally, it means breathe. It means breath. It can be used to discuss physical life, as in somebody breathing or not breathing. It can be used to talk about one's desires, like an appetite, But in this context, it's understood as representing one's person. It's representing their character. It represents how you interact with others around you. In our context, if we were to try to use that meaning of this word today, we might say something like, uh, that person has a lot of life about them. They're very lively. They're full of life. And so here we're talking about your personality. It's the part of you that people can perceive. It's the outer being. Okay, so we've got the inner being, the part that can't be perceived by other people. We've got the outer being, the part that people interact with, uh, the way that you interact with the world. And lastly, we read might. Some translations, NIV I think is one of these, it'll translate that word to strength. Uh, and it's very easy to go ahead and call that a definition of physical strength, right? But this is a different type of strength. So if I were to ask you the question, what makes a nation mighty or strong? You might say something like a well-equipped military. You might say a strong economy or maybe even great infrastructure. But you would not say super-ripped president, right? Because that's not what makes a nation mighty. What makes a nation mighty is its possessions, the things that it has to be able to take care of its people, defense, social, taking care of them with the food that they need, that kind of thing. So... The word might in verse 5 points to one's possessions. It points to your possessions. It points to what a person claims as their own. So if we look back over verse 5 as a whole, knowing what we now know, you can see that there is a progression here. You're to love the Lord with your inner being, your, 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 your feeler and your thinker, the part that people don't see. You're to love the Lord your God with your outer being. It's your character, how you interact with people. And then you're to love the Lord your God with everything that you own. Now, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I I don't think we left anything out. I think that pretty much covers your whole life. And so, if we were to sum up verse 5, we would simply say, you're to love the Lord your God with everything. 
everything. Then Moses further instructs Israel to keep these commandments at the forefront of their mind in verse 6 and to be constantly in their thoughts. So how do you do this? How do you make these commandments center stage in your life? I believe the answer is found in verses 7 through 9. And they say this, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Have you ever heard the old saying that the best way to learn is to teach? I've experienced that in my own life. I used to give guitar lessons back in the day before I went to college. And I remember preparing for the lessons that I, that I had to teach. I honestly, I thought I knew how to play guitar pretty well. But until I started teaching guitar, I didn't realize just how much I didn't know. Right? Because I've always played and catered to my personal style. I have a genre. Everybody has a genre of music they like. I had a genre of music that I like. And so when I learned how to play guitar... I learned certain guitar techniques that fit that style. So I wasn't very stretched. I had, you know, probably country music and Christian rock music, that kind of thing. I could do that. But I started teaching these students, and I started realizing, oh, they don't think the same way that I do. They don't have the same taste that I have. They like different types of music. They want to play different, different types of music that call for different types of techniques that I've not yet practiced. Not that I couldn't have done them, but I just had never asked, the, you know, desire to do that. So I was stretched during that period of my life because I'd have to go online. I'd have to search this stuff up and find these techniques and then I'd have to practice them a little bit, figure out, okay, how do I actually do this? How am I going to tell this kid how to do it? And that's how I, I grew as a guitarist. I grew more as a guitarist during that time of my life than any other time before then because I had settled into a groove up to that point. Then when I started trying to teach, it started stretching me. It's the same thing with your faith. It's the same thing with your love for God. If you begin to invest in your children and in your grandchildren, you will be stretched. You will be stretched, believe me. Guys, it is such a beautiful thing what happens on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings when I get to interact with our students. We've got one girl, I won't call her out, she knows who she is. But she loves to ask questions on top of questions on top of questions. And I mean some of the wildest questions you've ever heard in your life. Okay, but I am so thankful for those questions because sometimes I don't know the answer. But I'm thankful for those questions because it, it gives me something to think about that I've never thought about before. It, it challenges me to pursue God in a different way, in a way I've never thought. And this same thing can happen in your life when you begin to invest in kids around you, when you begin to invest in your children and in your grandchildren, in your nieces and your nephews, your brothers, your sisters. So, some of you, you may have struggled with this before. You may have wondered, how do I, how do I instill these, these truths, this faith, into my kids? How do I pass this on? How do I inspire them to love the Lord with all of their heart? and their soul, and their might. And some of you have answered that question by plugging them into a youth group. You plugged them into church. And look, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this, obviously. I love getting to interact with kids like I get to do. It's special, and it's necessary. So before I go any further, please understand that I am not telling you to separate yourself from the church. 
right? Your kids need that. But I would like to make a case for what I, what I believe is often a missing link in the equation of discipleship and evangelism for our kids. So some of you may remember when Pastor Jimmy, uh, he did an illustration. He had this big old, what was it, a vase jar thing and full of marbles. Y'all remember that? Okay, and the marbles, they were supposed to represent uh, weeks between birth and 18. Is that right? Okay, so we're going to do something a little bit similar. This is a stat that I, that I found, and it, it blew me away. I haven't really thought about this before. Um, I did some of the math just to, to kind of check it, <laughs> and it, it checks out. So here's the stat. It goes like this. As a student pastor, I may have 40 hours, 40 hours in one year to invest in the life of a student depending on their attendance and the student ministry schedule. So what isn't factored into this number is the fact that during the majority of that 40 hours, there's on average 17 to 20 other kids in the same room at the same time. So the other half of this stat is this. There are roughly 3,000 hours available for a parent or guardian to invest in the life of that same student and in a different context. So Family Life is a, is a family and marriage nonprofit ministry, and they, they did a survey, conducted a survey, and it included data from nearly 40,000 churched parents. Okay, Not just parents in general, churched parents. These are people that go to church fairly regularly. They attend, they're faithful. And this is, uh, these, these are some of the findings. We got those up there? Here they are. Okay. So, uh, the first column up there says, pray, pray with children, uh, and excluding mealtimes. And you can see that it's fairly an even spread. There's a little bit more weight on the never or rarely or the occasional side. If we move to the pray with the spouse, now this one's a little astounding to me. Excluding mealtimes, 52% reported they never or rarely do this. Church parents. This is not going to school and taking a survey of parents at school. This is church parents. Talk about spiritual values with children. You can see that a lot of it's kind of lumped in the middle, a little bit weighted towards the occasionally and several times a month side of things. And then have family devotional time. Time that you sit down, read the word together, worship together. 56% reported they never or rarely do this out of 40,000. Now, just to mention this, I don't think that, I don't don't know if that's a perfect representation of us. Okay? This is 40,000 people from a different place. This was done back in 2008. I don't know, maybe things have changed. Only you can answer for yourself where you fit on, on those stats. Only you can answer that for yourself. But it draws a, a, a picture for us of what we're seeing in America and in churches in America. The Christian home looks like, uh, looks like this. It's lacking in prayer. It's lacking in devotion. They're outsourcing the discipleship and the evangelism of their kids and themselves. 
to church. Church is important. But I would make the case that that's not the sole purpose. It's not, it's not necessarily here for you to just send a kid here, be done with them kind of thing. Okay? So try not to be too harsh here. So let's think about these 3,000 hours. What if those 3,000 hours looked like verses 5 through 9? What if, what if Jesus was discussed on the way to school? What if the Lord was praised during everyday chores at home? What if God was sought out in prayer every night and every morning? What if the home was set up to remind everyone to love the Lord with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might? Now, please, look, understand, I'm not trying to ask you to become a monastery. Okay, <laughs> that's, not what we're, that's not the goal here. If anything, I'm asking you this. Rather, God is asking you to leverage everyday activities in order to make Jesus known in the lives of your children and in your grandchildren. Everyday activities. Let me read this for you one more time. You should talk of them when you sit in your house. How many of you sit in your house? It's okay if y'all sit in your house. That's fine. (laughs) Y'all can sit in your house. It's fine. Uh, When you walk by the way, how many of you walk just in general, anywhere? Yeah, I think that's all of us. Okay. When you lie down, y'all sleep, right? Nobody sleeps standing up. That'd be weird. And when you rise, when you get up in the morning, it's normal stuff. It's everyday stuff. But I'm not trying to diminish this. I'm not trying to say it's super easy. What I am trying to say, though, is that there is time. There is time for you to do this. It's not easy to do it, but there is time for you to do it. It takes intentionality. It takes you loving God with your mind. It takes you putting those commandments at the front of your mind. To remember that I have to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, my inner being, my outer being, and everything that I own. And I would pose to you this. I believe that if we loved God, truly loved God in the way that that verse 5 is calling us to love God with absolutely everything, with no stone unturned, giving it all over to God. If we truly loved God in that way, we would have absolutely no problem, no problem passing it on to the next generation. It's not easy. It is difficult. Guys, I've been convinced by studying the Bible and by the teachings of, of other great men that family, that is the game plan for discipleship. That is God's design for evangelism and discipleship. And you wonder why marriage and family are two of the most attacked institutions in our society today. So this will not be easy. It is not easy to give everything over. You will go home, you will realize one day, thinking about something that you've always thought about. And you'll realize one day, oh, that's not, I can't, I can't think about that. I can't think like that. I can't, I can't just think about how mad I am at this person. I can't think with that, that lust. I can't do that. That's, that's not godly. That's not loving God with my mind. You'll think about when you're hanging out with your circle of friends, wherever that is, whether you're out eating one night 
Or maybe you're having a get-together at your house. Things that you've always done. You'll look at them one day and you'll realize, you know what? That's not showing that I love God with my character, with who I am, with how I relate with people, how I interact with people. So it's not easy. You'll look at your possessions, things that you have. Guys, I'm guilty of this. <laughs> you will look at things that you own. You will look down at your TV stand. True story. All right? You'll look down at your TV stand. You'll see the, the DVD collection you have. Look at some of them and realize, you know what? That doesn't show that I love God with my possessions. So the title of this whole thing was something to remember, something worth remembering. Or something like that. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, Something worth remembering. But it's something worth passing on. It's something worth passing on. It's not just worth remembering, it's worth passing on. If you're loving God with everything, you have no choice but to be contagious with your faith. You have no choice but to be contagious. And so, what's going to scare a lot of us, it scares me, is when you, when you sit down and you start thinking, okay, how can I love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my might? How can I do that? What are some things, some practical things that I can do? This is when the rubber hits the road, and it's going to get very difficult. And you'll ask yourself, how can I actually do this? And then you'll get discouraged. Because you will look around, and you will realize that you are not perfect. And guess what? God knows you're not perfect. Let me, let me show you that God knows that you're not perfect. Get this. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Would that need to be done for someone who's perfect? Is just going to get this right? No. There's no need for me to write it on my doorpost. There's no need for me to do that if I've, I've got it. I'm just perfect at this. I've got this. But we're not perfect. And that's why it's so important, so important to be so intentional in your home about remembering your command. Remembering the greatest commandment, that you need to love God with everything. Everything. So, for some of you, you remember a time when you walked with God and you you felt like your growth was just so rapid. Like it was just, you were just, woo, go God, woo, yeah, you know? And then next thing you know, you kind of flatline and, and then maybe you even feel like you've regressed, like you've just, you've, you've fell off. And then for others in this room, there, there are those in this room, I believe that just haven't even accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You haven't given everything to love God in that way. And so I want to encourage you, okay? I want to encourage you with this. Don't be like the rich young ruler. How many of you have heard of him in the New Testament? Okay, so let me give you a quick synopsis of what that is. So the rich young ruler, he's the guy who came to Jesus. He claimed to have it all together. He said, what, what do I need to do to be saved? He said, well, you know the commandments. You know the commandments. And he starts, he lists off a few commandments. And, the, and then he replies, the rich young ruler says, hey, I've done all that. Ever since my youth, I've done all of these things. I, I've done, what, what is left? What is there left for me to do? And he said, there's, there's one thing left for you to do. One thing that you're missing. Jesus says, go get rid of all of your possessions, sell your possessions and follow me. So he could love the Lord his God with all of his mind and all of his, his inner being and, and his outer being. He could act it out. He could walk the walk. 
But when it came to his possessions, they had a grip on him. And so he turned away. Turned away from Jesus, walking away, clinging to his earthly riches. Don't be like the rich young ruler. Maybe your problem isn't possessions. Maybe your problem is, is, is relationships. Maybe you don't want to give up certain relationships in your life or put certain relationships in jeopardy in your life because of your faith, of what you want to believe about Jesus. Please don't be discouraged from following Jesus. Don't buy into the lie that you can buy Jesus at a discounted rate. It's not going to happen. It takes everything. Jesus wants you to go all in. He wants you to go all in, all in at home and at work. He wants you to go all in everywhere that you're plugged in in the community. Everything, all about you, going all in for Jesus, going all in for the gospel. See, Jesus, he died on the cross and he showed us this great, amazing love. And it cost him his life. It cost him his life. Such a high cost was not paid so that you would have to give nothing. The good news is you don't have to give your life. Good news is, is that if you believe in Jesus, if you give your life over to Christ, you don't have to experience an eternity in damnation in hell. And it's all because Jesus died for you. He took your place. But the life that he offers, the life that he offers, it it requires you to lay your life down. You have to put to death yourself. You have to put to death the flesh. Put to death your nature, your desires, your wants, and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Everything that I have, I want to follow you, Lord. If you, want to use, if you want to use my house, Lord, use my house. If you want to use my money, God, use my money. Everything that I've got, Lord, use it. Take me, mold me, make me more like you, Jesus. Can I be an impact for you, Jesus? I pray that that is your prayer today. We're going to open up the altar. And as we do, please think about, consider seriously, not just praying for salvation. Please, please pray about salvation. If you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is no greater thing than you, that you could do today or in your life. But I would just ask, you know, parents, grandparents, whether you have children in the home, you have adult children, you have grandchildren, you have nieces, you have nephews, pray for your family. Pray for God to use your family. Pray that God will use you in your family. Let's pray. Father God, it sounds so simple, and yet it's such a weighty command to love you with everything. It calls us into the uncomfortable. It calls us to do the things that we don't want to do. It's difficult, Lord. I pray this morning that your grace would be enough, your grace would be sufficient to pull us away from from our desires, Lord. Let us pursue you entirely. God, I pray that each family in this church would be transformed 
Lord, that they would become what you have called them to be. Lord, that they would pursue you with everything that they have, God, that their kids would see you pursued in their home. They would be in, that they would be invested in, God, the kids and the grandkids. Lord, let them be invested in by their parents and grandparents. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?